this is the very essence of of why we're living, right? Is to celebrate culture, to celebrate experiences. Each year is fresh and new, and each year brings more opportunities. That funding is going to be disappearing. It's going to become less and less available unless it's sustainable. It was a really deep learning curve, but it was super exciting and the results were amazing. Everything around as it was supposed to be. Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. Today we're talking to the CEOs of Battle Royale Berlin, Brendan Schelper and Judith Hosch. Battle Royale is an entertainment company based in Berlin. They are a studio of bold creatives, strategists and event professionals working between the domains of culture and commerce. Technology and innovation are defining parts of their work and process. Founded in 2011, Battle Royale Berlin has staged some of the largest sport and cultural events throughout Europe and the Middle East, such as the European Capital of Cultures Aarhus 2017 and ESH 2022, and have worked for several Fortune 500 firms, including BMW, Porsche and American Express. Battle Royale Berlin regularly publishes articles sharing insights on their work and practices. You can find a selection on our Theatre Art Life website as well. Brendan, who is with us today, is an executive director with 20 years' experience in the culture, event and entertainment industry and is the founder of Battle Royal Berlin. Working at the intersection of creative strategy and emerging technologies, Brendan envisions compelling ways to bring large-scale activations to light. His roots stem from physical theatre, major cultural experiences and Olympic openings. Judith is a business and culture manager with 15-plus years of experience in the performing arts, entertainment and events sector. As the former CEO of Battle Royale, Judith set the operational framework for the team, making sure that each project got the people and budget it required. She led major international productions, overseeing team structures, budgets and processes. Appointed as co-CEO in 2022, she is joining co-founder and co-CEO Brendan Shelber as the strategic lead of the company. Brendan and Judith, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Anna. Welcome. Thanks for having us. That's amazing that uh, I've got both of you today. How, how special. And, and I'm excited about your recent uh, appointment, uh, Judith. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. And it's great to be here. Brendan, tell us a little bit about um, how Battle Royale Berlin got started, how it sort of evolved since 2011. I was actually on stage originally as a as a performer working for different companies like De La Guada which is a you know Argentine aerial theater company and I was coming in and out of Berlin and meeting different people as I went you know as you do within the industry and started working as a choreographer and and then moving quickly into direction of my own productions and this started out within dance theater um, and evolved into events essentially and got to the point where I was processing quite a lot of work and my tax advisor said you're no longer a freelancer you're a company owner and <laughs> we started to look at a more financially secure and, and legal way to operate you know as an entity and I was living and working with two colleagues one my my wife and also uh, closest friend, John Buckles at the time. And 
the company actually was born out of this uh, shared living arrangement. You know, it, it really was a kind of bedroom project that that blossomed into something far more substantial. And as I had a ceremonies background and also came from theater and acrobatics, the disciplines that we were merging were somewhere between this, you know, contemporary world of theater and and events. And um, as the company started to evolve, we were obviously bringing on people from within those industries. So we had this very balanced mix of event pros and, you know, arts and culture and, and, and theater practitioners. And this gave definition to the name Battle Royal, which actually, you know, separated the two words, worlds were defined by those, um, those words, you know, the battle, you know, to, to practice the arts, the battle for, for getting financial support from funding or whatever it is to realize your, your passion projects versus the kind of royal nature that you experience within uh, feature film or, you know, or plush events or corporate style scenarios, you know, which, which as a, an arts developer, I think anyone could associate with. And it was very much about these two worlds colliding and, and what they were sharing at the time. So we were taking the information and, and the technology we we're experiencing on these high level events and trying to bring that back into the arts world and seeing where the crossover was, you know, using these tools um, that we were discovering and vice versa. You know, we were, we were producing what we considered more off scene style dance theater projects and inviting our corporate um, clients and colleagues to see those shows. And then they were actually saying, hey, uh, this would actually be great for a brand experience, let's say, you know, event or product launch or something like this. Could you or would you be willing to adopt, you know, that style of work for this purpose? Which we saw only as opportunities, you know, to develop the work further and, and also to, let's say, like, basically pay everybody to be more dedicated to Battle Royal and to have more time um, to build the company. And this philosophy we've managed to keep throughout the last 10 years, and we're very much focused, as as you said in the introduction, um, on culture, on commerce. And the the big gap between, I think we're seeing this more and more in modern day culture, you know, whether that's uh, you know, a hybrid form of digital versus analog, but also very much how these worlds of arts and corporate are, are becoming very blurry. This is where we are. And that's, I would say, that's kind of the journey so far, you know, in terms of the, the creative strategy. Maybe Judith can um, elaborate a bit more on the, you know, the, the structural and management and, and financial growth of the company. Sure, happy to do that. Yeah, when I joined uh, 10 years ago, 2011, um, Brennan mentioned already, we were then a group of four people uh, starting a small backyard office in, in Berlin. And ever since, during this growth, we took all these unique projects, should it be intimate concerts to large-scale ceremonies, that was already the case very at the beginning. Um, so this this great mix that also attracted me to working for Battle Royale was this, how Brennan just explained the mix of culture versus corporate projects, because they both had this exciting part about uh, them. Um, sure, some years the focus was maybe more on the cultural projects or on the corporate projects. It came a bit down to what type of requests we got and how busy we were. But over these 10 years, I would say we really grow into a global network of creatives and event experts. 
Um, so along the way, we got bigger projects, more famous, maybe names, and we have really a great um, development of team that we found that are internationally renowned and have a lot of experience that they can bring into the mix. Um, so it has always been this super exciting journey of growing, let's say, exciting projects and also the team that continues. Each year is fresh and new and each year brings more opportunities. And for sure, we set standards and processes at the beginning. Okay, what is the groundwork? How do we communicate? What what process do we need so everyone is in the loop and it's not just all driven by a creative mind, but also what is the orga side of it to make the project smooth, the process smooth, um, but also keeping the fun. So I think these these two different skills, the creative team and the orga team, they really have to work close together to find a good way forward. And I think we have good processes established um, and we always get good feedback when we have new team members joining the team, how good our onboarding is, how it's really thought through to get them into how do we do things, what do we stand for and in which way do we want to enjoy the path to the highlight moment, which is always the, the day of the show. I love that the ethos of the company sits in the title. So I think that's really cool. I think it's also interesting that, you know, I think when you talked, Brendan, about how, you you know, you the opportunities came and then you, you took them and you adapted your stuff and your work towards it, which sort of gives credit to the agility of the company. And um, I think as I've watched you over the last couple of years through the pandemic to uh, evolve and you know, people start talking about this hybrid culture and 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 the way that you've, the entertainment's had to evolve a little bit through the pandemic, and and you guys have definitely done that. So, can you define for us, you know, really what what is a hybrid culture mindset? What where do you think we are now, uh, two years into the pandemic, and you know, as we start to implement different technologies and different virtual aspects into into the entertainment and what what you do as a core product? Well, for us, I think. The the term hybrid culture, which we've which we've been throwing around for the last eighteen months, actually defines pretty well who we are, who what what what's in our DNA. You know, it's 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 natural that we are trying to bring these two worlds together, whether that's digital, analog, corporate culture, on stage, off stage, like whatever that is, we are are constantly looking for bringing different worlds together because this is where those really interesting collisions happen. You know, I think in a sense that's the concert of it all is is how those um, odd components are working together to make a new hybrid form. So this stands true to what we are and, and who we've been the last 10 years, but I think we took the chance, you know, when COVID hit, to aggressively pivot and and seize an opportunity to enter new markets. And that would be, for us, very much the work that we invested into augmented reality and, let's say, like the more virtual event world or the virtual communication world. And that was a pretty natural step because we were already using those tools, but in, you know, in more live staging concept, uh, content, uh, context, sorry. And now what we've done is essentially open up a whole new series of opportunities in producing these digital interactive and immersive events for, you know, various clients that probably we would not have normally spoken to, you know, and, and that's, that's, some, that's some massive international clients actually that are allowing us to do exceptional, I would say, 
some of the, the biggest, you know, digital experiences in Europe and certainly the world, you know, next to the likes of Apple, who a lot of people would struggle to compete with. But it's allowing us to play on that level, even though we are still a kind of humble, small company. It's essentially leveled the playing field a little bit, you know, and it means the underdog can actually stand up against um, some of the bigger European agencies and offer, you know, a, a offer an experience of an exceptional level. And this, to me, is super interesting. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. And logistically, maybe, Judith, is, is it that become, you know, in a hybrid world, is that more complicated now because you've got the virtual thing and maybe some live stuff? Is that from a, from a planning and preparation point of view, is that how have you had to adapt to those new projects? Well, what I would say was really positive that we also learned that Sure, remote work is possible. Like nearly everyone who is a bit open in the head, um, also in possibly bigger companies, realize that some unfortunately didn't and they say, come back to the office. Everyone has to come to the office. But we have quite some experienced project managers and production managers working from around the world, not being based in Berlin, never coming to our office, never have been here. And that is not at all a problem. <laughs> it's all about you have clear communication. What is the process? And that was for sure a liberating uh, moment, realizing okay, cool, we don't need to find people, although there's a lot of people in Berlin and for sure a lot of artists here, but sure where we pivoted and where we, we had to adapt was that we, for a period of time, were an event agency. So we were the core delivery of the overall thing. So before it was more focused on the show concepts and our client might have been an event agency, but when you run a virtual event, you don't need us to do the concept and implementing it and then get an event agency so we can do the whole thing so all of a sudden we were also the ones engaging all the other suppliers like video production teams technical providers and there was a really steep learning curve but it was super exciting and the results were amazing everything ran as it was supposed to be and now we have yet another new experience to add to the mix of what we can actually do how's this going to change our live entertainment world brendan moving forward do you think now that we're probably getting back to more live shows. How's the virtual world and technology going to change? What do you think is going to be coming up? Well, yeah, I can only give my humble opinion, obviously. To be honest, I don't think anyone really knows. I think I think there's going to be a natural selection, you know, which takes place as any true evolution can tell. What we've seen is a very dramatic movement in terms of digital engagement. I think even two years ago, you know, at the beginning of COVID, statistics were coming out like 
millions and millions of the population in Latin America, for example, made their first online purchase. You know, subscriptions to gaming were outrating anything to do with TV and series, you know, things like this. And that was already two years ago. So regardless of what we had before, I think it's debatable if the human memory is strong enough to remain attached to what we were experiencing, you know, pre-COVID. And I think there's going to, it will require a, a substantial investment to remind people, you know, of what those live experiences were and why they're important and to get them back. That's just my opinion, because ultimately I think people are naturally pretty lazy and you've seen this in booms of delivery services. That's not just because people were, you know, quarantined and stuck at home. They got used to that very, very quickly. So <laughs> like, we'll um, take this on. <laughs> yeah, I can now call up and have a Snickers bar, you know, delivered to my house in 10 minutes. I mean, this is this is uh, ridiculous. Of course, I can see the sense in, in people that are balancing households that could be very convenient, but there's also a huge amount of laziness there. And so I think we really need to look at what is the convenience of live experiences, you know, that we're offering because a lot of people just don't have the time to make time to go to a, a theatre experience or a live show experience for, you know, two hours, you know, plus travel time versus being able to buy the, the, the newest Hollywood release on Netflix for 10 bucks. Yeah, everything's on demand now, right? Yeah. So how does live and entertainment fit the on-demand exactly. world? So yeah. essentially what we have to be offering is something that can bridge those two worlds, which again brings us back to our kind of hybrid approach. And that's something that we're really interested in and where we see a potentially huge market is how we can create, you know, the, the aspect of a live experience which very much plugs in to a digital experience and can be viewed by the masses or experienced by a smaller audience live. And within this type of equation, we see that there, there can be a very dominant need, you know, to, to fulfill. So you're giving something for both audience perspectives and ideally finding clever ways to intertwine them so they're uh, inseparable. And I think you're seeing lots of examples of this, you know, in terms of elaborate uh installations you know that are that are claiming to be immersive whether that's just kind of walking through a three 360 degree projection or you know more flamboyant uh things like meow wolf you know setting up these multi-million dollar mega installations which are attracting audience to do something that they simply could not do online so there's enticing things out there and and of course we're seeing large quantities of ticket sales there but what will truly remain, I think the sad thing will be that state theatres and, you know, contemporary theatre spaces are probably going to suffer here because their ageing audiences are going to dwindle. And the reality is that our younger audiences are just not getting access to those services to become lovers, lovers of it. So sadly, that's going to be a generational gap problem, as I see, and, and will probably slowly disappear but look i think this is a reminder to everybody that when our festivals come back whether that's concerts or theater festival or, or visual art festivals we all have to hit those hard and and you know go back and remind ourselves and experience the wonders of those journeys 
because this is the very essence of of why we're living right is to celebrate culture to celebrate experiences and if we're not out there if we're just sat on the couches being lazy and just consuming tv those things are going to disappear which would be highly unfortunate absolutely well speaking of cultural events um maybe judith you could tell us one of the big battle royal projects right now is esh 2022 so what is what is that and what's your role in it well it's a major project it's a super exciting one it's the opening of the capital of culture of europe each year one city or two cities into different countries is actually selected um to be the cultural city of the year which is actually strengthening european culture um and it always starts with an opening and then the whole year they run multiple cultural projects in that city or in that region and then there's a closing ceremony towards the end of the year and we have already been working 2017 in Aarhus in Denmark at the opening ceremony and now we're going to work in a couple of weeks at the op- we're, we're actually directing and concepted and doing the whole production the creative production of the opening ceremony of Esh 2022 which is a city and a corresponding region in Luxembourg Amazing. And so you're also working beyond the opening um, event and doing stuff throughout the year with the festival? No, actually, we were specifically engaged for the opening, also because of our prior experience with even another capital of culture opening in Denmark, but also all the major ceremonies we worked on. But there's a local team um, working on, on the cultural program throughout the year. And that's also the whole point that our creative team took in for the opening to work with Ash for Ash and not just come from another country and deliver something and say, see, we can do big shows, here it is. But really integrating the culture that is there, a really rich culture, might it be musicians or performers. Brendan can for sure talk more specifically about our concept and integrate them into the opening. And is there a hybrid approach in this one as well, Brendan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is also just a reality of of producing ceremonies in this era where there's substantial investment both with time and and financially. I think it would be irresponsible not to (laughs) provide, you know, a digital version or or let's say like a, a, a hybrid version of this event. So this is something that we were pretty pretty uh stringent about particularly with the client this very much came from our side that we were saying as we saw the covid landscape progress and that this wasn't going to be something that will just disappear um we suggested quite early on that we immediately pivot and make a production scope that is scalable essentially and and could accommodate for what was beginning to be 50,000 um, live spectators and has now been quite reduced, but will still be in excess of, of 15,000. And that we could also have, you know, a scalable and un- unlimited digital audience that could benefit from those um, physical experiences that are being set up. So essentially what we've done is build a kind of linear narrative experience across several stages within the city but they're all connected by a digital broadcast. So that'll go out as a live stream and have several interactive features for the home viewers so they can actually dictate the outcome of certain aspects of the event. Um, and that will play out. Yeah, it's it's super cool, actually. And that will play out as a um, yeah theatrical experience where act- the audience's key role is 
is the center of the plot, actually. So they're not just coming as spectators, they're actually given missions that they have to complete on arrival in this large city area. And only if they complete those missions and, and generate enough co-create energy, is, is what we're calling it, can we reach our goal at the end of the night? I don't want to give too much away there, but we're trying to launch some pretty massive ideas into space. And we're having, uh, we've got a collaboration with the Luxembourg Space Agency that we've been working with over the last couple of years on this. We've done some some huge uh, research programs through all of the schools within the region. So we had about 800 school kids participating and helping us write the concept. It's been a wild ride. Like the 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 concept has really pushed the notion of what a let's say regional collaborative you know, opening ceremony can be and how immersive and interactive an opening ceremony can be. So that's something that we're really striving for. Sounds really exciting. Is there a way that the general public globally can watch, participate, see it, or is it something that's shared with the, how's that that proposed? Yeah, there is going to be um, a, a live stream link where I believe at least all across Europe, it can be accessed. So um, maybe we can share this link as a part of the publication of the podcast so people can click through on the 26th of February. Just a couple more questions because we always ask all of our guests this question. So it's a two-part question um, and I'll either one of you can go first. So one, the fav- most favourite thing about your job, whatever facet of it, and the second thing, if there's one thing you could change about the job or your industry, what would it be? So my favorite thing about my job um, is the versatility that comes with the projects. For example, uh, my, on my specific uh, work area, on day one, I might speak to a major German um, funding body regarding an eligibility and, co- of course, an excess, uh, accepted project timeline because there are really strict frameworks within public funded projects, uh, which was actually the case. We, we got a funding to do a tour of, of our film Symphony of Now in the US, which in the end um, was also done as a digital experience. And on the next day, I might be negotiating with a Fortune 500 procurement about a PO. So it's a complete different process. It's complete different focus and, and requirements. And that sure, that makes my life very exciting and my, and my work, my work life. And I just love the new possibilities that, that we can develop with each project. So it's redefining formats, how things are done, how maybe the event industry um, is affected by it. One thing I would like to change about the job of the industry, I mean, as great and diverse as the projects in each calendar year look like, there's also the downfalls to having to make bank each year. We always start back at zero. It's a blank new canvas and we have to fill it up, earn money, and create the liberty to do research and development about new technologies, new ideas. That is the way our company works with our focus. I don't think it can really be changed because we don't depend on public funding. We have to all the liberty we want, but we have to work for it. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's a very good answer. Brendan, what about you? What I enjoy most is, I would say, the, the, the constant evolution of, of the company, you know, and I never considered myself to be an entrepreneurial type, but and the way I approach things is probably very fragmented and less focused than you know most other um, CEOs. But I like to have a lot of pots on the boil, you know, at, at the same time, and then see which one starts to become you know 
uh, a luscious soup and then invest my energy in this. And I think this is something I, I enjoy about having that ability with, with, with having battle as a really, let's say, like a comprehensive tool to realize these ideas, you know, the ideas of the group, the ideas of discovery, something that we might actually investigate as a result of a minor project which which shows signs for investment or or further development and that's something i've really enjoyed over the last 10 years which i i didn't actually anticipate that's not the reason why i started the company this is likes and i think challenges for me actually it's two sides of the same coin really it's the it's the fact that we're not making shoes or selling toothbrushes so like you had said, every project is really for us, you know, creatively and, and strategically starting new. Of course, there's crossovers and elements that we can uh, share, you know, whether it's process or uh, specific ideas that, that can transcend one project to the other. But ultimately, our job is to come up with something unique every time. And that's daunting and exhausting. You know, it's it's not like a traditional let's say, entertainment company where you're producing a show every year and that show then has a touring life of, of two to three years and then you are, you know, going back into the room to develop the next one. Um, we are doing this every, like, six weeks, actually. And, of course, it's not always the same people, but um, ultimately it's about us making sure that every experience or event or show or digital experience is of the quality that we would expect, and this is a huge amount of effort, you know, to, to maintain that quality all through the through the um, process. So, it's something that we are also considering if if we will go into developing possibly some more permanent activations, which would then allow us to invest those developments that we've made over the last uh, five years into something that's more tangible and and more public facing. But right now, everything that we create is very disposable. And that that will get to a point where it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, because you're not building on something. And it's not just talking about sustainability in ecological terms. It's talking about sustainability in terms of effort and research and development and um, all those aspects that could have a, a much longer life if you package them in uh, in a different way. So this is this is super interesting to consider. Mm, mm. So maybe a shift, say revenue generating projects, maybe the, on on a long term basis, right? Yeah, or just even allowing opening it up to the public that that people can come and enjoy those things. I think we all know from this event industry or ceremonies industry, often you're working for two years on something, which which then has a one evening lifetime or life cycle, and then it evaporates. I think when we talk about the, the, the arts and, you know, in general kind of cultural um, projects, there's rarely a mindset about recoupment financially and what the cost per audience is. So you can make a dance piece and, you know, only allow 10 spectators in. So what is the cost per head for those 10 spectators really, you know, of that project? Or you can make a ceremony where 10,000 people are in the stadium and then you have a, you know, 40 million, you know, audience like on an Olympic opening. So what's the cost per head then? 
And I think fully understanding when you are developing a piece with the financial investment, with the environmental impact, with you know the, the time and energy, blood, sweat and tears that's needed to create it, what is the true cost? And I think this is a really interesting thing to ask. And of course, the longer the life a project has or you know experience has and the more people that see it, that cost goes down per head and it has a more significant impact. And a lot of the people who come into the arts don't come in from that business mindset, right? So they've got to learn on their way. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, in all honesty, I think when you look at cultural funding, of course we need cultural funding, but it's also not, it's not their priority to see a financial recoupment. You know, that money is basically being given to in, invest in an idea and it's not really stipulated that that needs to be paid back. And, of course, I get that. But I think we need to do some work because that that funding is going to be disappearing. It's going to become less and less available unless it's sustainable. So, yeah, this is maybe a topic for another podcast. <laughs> that is a very good. We do, we do have to. That is a big, um, a big subject and a, one worthwhile digging into for sure. So thank you for introducing it. Uh, but Brendan and Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I, I wish the best for you both, for you both and the company uh, in 2022. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only $38 per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com